0: Welcome to your podcast, Leadership is Tricky, where we'll tackle various topics, challenges and experiences as it relates to your investment in leadership. So let's design success together. Now your hosts. Hey, everyone. Eric Ocasio here, uh, back with Leadership is Tricky or Lit for some folks that are out there. Um, We are back and I have uh, Trish Martinelli here with me. Um, How are you doing this morning, Trish?
1: I am doing so great. I would never want to be anywhere in the morning but with you, Eric, having some coffee and talking some leadership.
0: Awesome. And you're out there in uh, uh, Virginia Beach hanging out with a pool next to you and some nice uh, foliage (laughs) behind you. Um, yeah, so folks that don't know, we had uh, Trish on uh, season one and we talked a lot about design thinking and some c- cultural facilitation work that she was doing. But uh, for folks that you know, didn't tune in to season one and just getting with us now here in season three, uh, Trish is the regional director for the National Security Innovation Network as well as the executive director for the Defense Entrepreneurs Forum. And she's wearing the swag here for those that are looking at the video. She's got her deaf uh, uh, jogger on. And uh, yeah, so, so welcome back, Trish, and welcome back to the audience. So let's just jump right into it. Um, yeah. So uh, I mentioned it just a little while ago. We talked about design thinking and cultural facilitation work that you've been doing for the last, what, maybe a couple of years now. Um, mm-hmm. So um, just bring people up to speed with, you know, what you're doing in that space and what it is.
1: Right. So let's start with design thinking or DT for some people. Um, depending on where you work and what you do, you can also kind of hear those echoes. Um, framed in user experience or customer experience. Um, So essentially, it is using a methodical process to take a look at the factors that influence decision and design. So, you know, building a persona. If you uh, build a subway, for example, is that a subway that works for the abled body as well as the person that has a physical limitation? Maybe it's sight, maybe it's hearing, maybe it's uh, lower limbs that have a different ability than others. So really looking at what you're building to see if it works and see if it satisfies what the mission is for all of the user cases. And this really taps into something that's uniquely human, our empathy and our understanding of one another. Right. So it's not something that is, you know, on the forefront of being replaced by artificial intelligence or machine learning. So that's design thinking. And then cultural facilitation is really um, allowing people to table what the root issues are that are challenging the way that we work at an interpersonal level. For me, this feels like two sides of the same coin. Like, how do we get the best product or mission fit? for what we need to do or what we need to design and how do we get the very best out of the people that are the unique contributing factor to what we're building what we're doing and the mission we have to accomplish
0: No, it's cool because i think both of them though if you really looked at its root it's all about empathy right and how we look at problem sets because typically we like to go these technical solutions and we kind of lose that adaptive piece that squishy stuff that surrounds uh, While we're doing what we're doing, so yeah, no, I appreciate that. Um, so um, you've been all over LinkedIn lately, um, <laughs> e- even a little bit on Facebook, and you know you've been all over my timeline. Um, and uh, it, it's kind of something that I, I did uh, fairly recently as well. But you did a TEDx. Um, yep. So let's talk about that. What was your TEDx about and what was the topic? And just walk us through that experience, right? For, for those that are out there that have issues with, you know, speaking in front of large crowds, um, you know, walk us through the preparation for that, what the topic was, how was that experience for you? And then we'll get into, you know, I'll tease some stuff out as we go along here.
1: Yeah. Okay. So the title of my talk was Fit to Fight, How Psychological Readiness enables mission accomplishment. And what I really wanted to do, and this is no surprise given that we just talked about enabling the people, right? We wanted to talk about the human factor and uh, uh, hats off to the Defense Acquisition University, their TEDx training program and their program really packs a punch. So um, we wanted to look, my section was looking at the human factor that enables mission readiness. And my piece was about psychological safety so, psychological safety, as it's described by Google's Project Aristotle, which is an amazing study. If anybody wants to take a look what at was highly the name functioning of that project? teams, yeah, this is a project by Google. It's called Aristotle.
0: Aristotle, and they okay.
1: really looked, yeah, they really looked at what was common uh, across highly functioning teams, regardless of industry. And they found that the number one thing that made teams really, really successful is psychological safety and this is how they define that and that is the individual's perception of the consequences of taking an interpersonal risk at work so i was just reflecting on this um, before we met today and i was thinking of an interpersonal risk that i took that um, if i had known now what i knew then would i still take it Mm -hmm. so there was um, a place where i went to work And I was assigned kind of a sponsor to help me, you know, uh, get used to the culture and find my way around, um, you know, the organization. And in my, you know, very first weeks working there, I confided to her, you know, shared with her, that I aspired to be a senior executive service member within the next five years. I I mean, that seemed like something that was very safe to say in places that I had been before. But looking back at that moment, I saw a change in the way that not only she, but other people kind of interacted with me um, as if they had to kind of dial me down, put me in my place and remind me that I wasn't an SES. I knew that. Um, but when the, my inner aspiration got out, see, I took an interpersonal risk and I put out what my goal was, even though it was an audacious, you know, like at that time, just, you know, high reaching goal. Um, you know, I saw reverberations of how I was treated differently once I took that interpersonal risk. And I was thinking about that this morning, knowing what I know now, would I go back to that moment in time and not, you know, speak my aspiration. Um, even though it was kind of difficult afterwards, and I'm thinking to myself, no, I would still do it because that's true to myself right you know that's true to my goals of putting my vision out there and then you know enlisting the willing to help me achieve those goals and and striving towards them. So, if you don't speak it, it's hard to realize it
0: So was this person an SES or, or no or more of a peer?
1: Yes, she was a peer.
0: Yeah, so I, find, and, uh, I have found that um, throughout my career as well is that I have to be very, um, I don't want to say it, uh, cautious with mm-hmm. who I share my uh, goals and kind of my roadmap with because of that. Typically, you yep. know, when you share it with your peers, um, you know, a lot of folks see that as a threat and, mm-hmm. you know, as a minority and um you know, someone in, in the workplace that doesn't look like others. Um, and you can probably relate to this as well as a female. Um, you know, folks try to find a way to keep you at bay. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. To, to not pass them, but no, no, I, I, I applaud you. And I, I'm glad that you have uh, taken that time to reflect, um, and that you would do it all over again. Right. Um, cause I've known you for many years and you were extremely capable. Um, and, um, yeah, no, but no, appreciate you sharing that with me. I just want to throw that out there. because so I've seen the same thing in my career as well.
1: Yeah. They, I, I've heard it compared to a, a Maryland crab pot where, you know, the way that they catch crabs is they catch them live and crabs could actually crawl out. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the physical ability to crawl out, but once one does the other crabs, pull them back down right to where they are because they just, you know, there's something instinctual about we are, we all have to be in this, you know, mess together. So it's interesting, but um, it's just not me. And I'll kind of flip to one of my favorite um, kind of Marianne Williamson phrases when she talks about our greatest fear is not that we're amazingly, you know, like untalented, but that we're actually very talented. And the part about that um, quote that I really love is she says, you know, when we shine our light, we allow others to shine their light as well right and that's just super important to me and it's it's been an organizing principle in the way that i approach interpersonal work
0: yeah so you you mentioned um that you went through a course i guess they got you prepared for the tedx Mm -hmm. So, so talk about that and how'd you get into that
1: Okay, first of all, I'm going to respect both my coach and the master coach. So my coach was Michelle Courier from the National Contract Management Association and phenomenal Human. I'm at her house right now. Right. And um, the second was our master coach, PJ. And um, both of them like have a very methodical building process. And um, listen, I'm going to self-identify as someone who doesn't always take the read ahead or the pre-work as seriously as she should. Um, It's a flaw, it's a professional flaw, but it showed up in this process, right? So I was kind of like phoning it in, kind of like half-stepping, you know, the prep work and about halfway through it started to show because this was a layering process and really, really wise people have been through it before. They designed it on purpose, human-centered design, um, and they had proven track records and results of how this works, right? So about halfway through, I couldn't fake it anymore. Like, I had not done the proper prep work to be at that midway point, and PJ pulled me aside and she said, listen, Trish, we can just take you out of this lineup. Like, if if you don't want to invest the time, and it's an investment, if you don't want to invest the time, we don't want to put you on stage for you to fail. Right. Like, you got, you've got to do the work. You've got to do some of this refining. You've got to do some of this practicing. And that shook me, woke me up. And then I started to get on track with the program. So um, both of those wonderful ladies kind of uh, joke that I did um, 12 weeks worth of TEDx prep and three weeks flat. So, um, so there's a process where you talk about what your ideas are. You make a first draft. You get some notes and refining. You start to, like, memorize what your key points are. And uh, PJ calls it the rise and the fall of the conversation, mm-hmm. um, you know, and your call to action. And when I started, my call to action wasn't as clear as it was that day on the stage, 100%. Um, so it, it's an amazing process. And even for people who may not feel that they're great public speakers. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if I think I'm a great public speaker, but I know that I'm comfortable doing it. So if I were to put myself in the shoes of someone who is not as comfortable as I am doing that, I could not recommend a TEDx process more because it helps you organize your idea. It helps you to tell stories. It helps you to get the point across and it helps you to get to the so what. And Eric, what do we know about any, you know, proposal that we put forward? If the so what isn't strong, the chances are low, right? And we could be talking about any kind of management principle, whether it's, you know, a facilities improvements or a process over, overhaul, Sherbert chart. Sherbert chart, right. <laughs> Sherbert chart. That thing is still yeah. alive
0: and well. Still alive and well. Yeah.
1: Yes. So we, we might have to find the original and like, or a variant and throw it up so that people on the, the lit podcast can see. But, um, you know, big thinking requires great storytelling. If you and this is this is back from the military decision making process, right? You have to see yourself in the problem first before you can see yourself in the solution.
0: Yeah, but I think a, a big part of it, too, is is, is, is getting folks engaged. Right. And mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. getting those folks that probably haven't thought about the problem as much as you have um, to, yeah. to, to, you know, and they're on the fence on whether or not they want to be a part of the solution. Right. Is really engaging them. How do you pull them in? And letting them see themselves in in the situation, right? So more of that adaptive. I know I always punch punch home the adaptive leadership piece, but how do we, you know, mobilize folks with storytelling to to, to see themselves in the solution uh, and push the push the kind of thought and the concept forward? Um, Yeah so so you go through this uh crash course right after getting a wake-up call and being called out so thank you folks for calling Trish out
1: (laughs) pj jackson
0: (laughs) right um yeah so then right let's say the last 24 hours before you step on stage what what were you feeling in that moment
1: um i was feeling very vulnerable very exposed Because my call to action was based on a hard learned lesson about psychological safety and the difference that it makes everywhere you go. And because, you know, in today's society, we spend more time at work than we spend at any other single activity, um, you know, psychological safety at work is not just important to the work, but it's important to the person. We, when you feel comfortable and safe being your authentic and whole self at work, you know, and understanding that you're not going to be perfect, but when you're imperfect, you'll be treated with compassion, concern, and coaching. Right. Um, yes. You know, when that bedrock is solid, it's just so much easier to have a solid foundation in the other areas of your life. And I'll tell you, again, I learned this, when that is shaky, the other areas of your life suffer.
0: Mm-hmm. So being vulnerable. Yes. Right. And and I know you related it back to work. Right. And then how it affects everything outside of that. But, um, vulnerability, right. I'm one of those people that I find, I see that people have strength when they're more vulnerable, um, because they're kind of letting you into, you know, their space. Um, do you have a, a, do you have a challenge with that just day to day with being vulnerable? Right. Um, I know sometimes I do, um, you know, based on, you know, trauma in my life and life experiences and to where I'm at. um, I I didn't I didn't get to where I'm at by showing a lot of vulnerability. But now that I'm a little bit more mature and you knew me when I was a lot younger, um, now that I'm a bit more mature, I'm more comfortable with showing and sharing that vulnerability with others. I don't know. how, how, How are you with that?
1: Well, let me just kind of like put a little pin in that. I have known you for years and every step along the way of knowing you, I know that you have been destined for greatness. The The way that you understood the mission, the way that you understood the people, the way that you understood, you know, what was standing in the way between where we are and greatness has shown through at every step of your career. So I I don't want to I don't want to let that slide out there like at one point in time, Eric wasn't hot shit and now he is. Um, But yeah, I mean, always, 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 always could see you stepping into greatness at every level. Um, So vulnerability. Um, I I remember one time when I was first working in Washington, D.C., I had come from an assignment at wright Pat, Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, which I loved. You know, I loved it was very uh, the um, surrounding areas were very earnest and very genuine. And it felt like, you know, a scene right out of, you know, Mayberry RFD. The kids played on the street until midnight. It just felt like very earnest. And when I came to Washington, D.C., I think I, I, I brought that same set of like, you know, whole person allow my emotions to be there be trusting first be skeptical seconds and i remember someone pulling me aside and saying "Look, you're not in ohio anymore you need to get hip to how this stuff happens here and it was in that moment where you know there was a voice inside me and sometimes these voices are very small especially when they are very true Mm. and very challenging Um, i remember a voice inside me saying okay you can change this world or you can let the world change you, make your decisions. And at that point, I I decided to still be my genuine self. Right. Um, and my genuine self is very compassionate, very caring, very empathetic, almost to a fault. Um, and very rarely like, you know, on game, strategic chess player make the move now for the benefit of the moves three point you know three moves later. Um, so I, I think on some level I've always been very vulnerable and you knew me and we were just talking about this this weekend you knew me when we would be in meetings with a three star at the head of the table and that person would say, are there any questions or comments before we close this meeting? And I would be in the room and I'd be like, I'm sorry, I have a question about what seems to be very
0: obvious.
1: (laughs) Where everyone else had the strategy to know that when that question was asked, the expectation was that no one would say anything. And if you had questions, they happened in the hallway or they happened afterwards. But by being my genuine self in that space, people around me started to (sighs) see that I was a very strategic thinker. And I went from being an individual contributor Kind of in one function of that organization to being the deputy chief of the strategic division and that path was built step by step by asking questions because i was being genuine to myself it could have gone wrong it sure could have but that particular organization that group of people you know being bold opened doors for me
0: yeah and i would probably say even during that time and seeing it firsthand is like and that's probably what drew me to you because we're uh, uh, very similar in this fashion. Is that we're okay being uncomfortable, right? And sometimes you would ask the questions because you truly wanted to understand, you know, the, the director's perspective. Um, and a lot of folks, right? Because you might ask a question that they didn't have an answer to, you know, answer to. But um, now it was great seeing your progression. and You putting yourself out there. Um, which is vulnerability, right. Is, is, mm-hmm. is going out there and saying, I don't know, I need clarity. Um, and, uh, you live with the results, but, um, you know, to, to, yeah, it, it was, it was a testament to, to who you are and living your true north. And, and, and I appreciated that always. And we would have great conversations, um, about some of the dysfunction and the fact <laughs> that a lot of folks didn't want to buck the status quo. So, um, all right, so just I, just going back to your TED talk, right? So, twenty four hours before you get on stage, you're feeling vulnerability, probably some anxiousness, and ensuring that you go up there um, and uh, you know you don't bomb. So, right, you're let's say you know fifteen minutes before you're getting on stage, you've got the, you know, you've got the the, the microphone. You know, you're a thousand thoughts throwing, going through your head. I bet you, if you could see it, it looked like a beautiful mind, right? <laughs> right with all the symbols you've probably never seen in your life out there. Um, yeah, so so you get out there on stage, then what?
1: Uh, right out of the gate, I stumbled. like I misordered some of the first talking points that I had and I looked over at my coach and I, I when I looked back at the video, I could see the panic in my eye and I remember her just going, You know, kind of making this hand motion, like, settle down, it'll be okay. And I got right back on track. And one of the things that I think people may or may not know about TED Talks is I know it looks like people are just up there talking from their experience, their perspective, kind of like we are now. Mm -hmm. But there is not a single word that comes out of your mouth during a TED Talk that isn't written down, rehearsed, and memorized. I memorized four pages of dialogue for that thing. Um, So... Yeah, I I stumbled a little bit out of the gates, um, but once I saw her kind of give me that hand motion of "I have confidence in you, everything will be okay, we've worked hard, you are prepared, you're here," I got right back on track, and it it did feel as natural as a conversation that we're having now.
0: Awesome. So um, I I will tell you, uh, I'm extremely proud of you um, and and how far you've come and all the things that you've done and. Uh, One of the things that I I learned um, uh, at Harvard was, is we need to continue to live our purpose so we'll always live someone else's purpose. And I know for for the longest time, these are the things that you wanted to set off to go do to change the world. And and I applaud you for that. And um, everyone will benefit from from the work that you're putting in. Um, So I I wanted to talk about the psychological safety piece a little bit more. Um, Yep. So why do you feel that that that's extremely important in the workplace? And then how does that translate outside the workplace?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. so you have to trust the people you're around or else you are fighting battles in your mind every moment of every day. And if anyone on this call has ever had a near miss when they're driving, like, you know, somebody swerves, changes lanes, or, you know, you've had to do that to avoid something in the road that you weren't expecting. You know, that feeling, you know, that feeling of your heart racing, your breathing, tightening up, you know, everything seems to be in slow motion. You start sweating, you know, that feeling. And here's the thing. Science tells us that when you experience those kind of stressful events, day after day, moment after moment, your physiology starts to change. Your physiology starts to change. Like you have heart problems. You have circulatory problems. You have sleeping problems. And if I can tell people one thing that's the most important part of building psychological safety Eric Ocasio, is to get a solid eight hours of sleep every night. And no, you cheat on that um, because you're so frenetic and you have so much stuff going on and in your mind and you have goals. So don't cheat your sleep anymore. I got about um, four hours you know. last night, but that's because of jet lag. So
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I know this about you. But, you know, if you start to honor your body and see, this is a gift that COVID gave us is we all had a common traumatic experience of you know going through covid and we all kind of felt okay talking about our mental wellness
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know and the balance that we need to keep that mental wellness strong um so yeah I, you know kind of building on psychological safety you need it wherever you are it's important to your physiology to your well-being to your clarity of thought and when you talk about leadership your clarity of thought is critical If you feel like you are under constant attack, if you feel like everyone around you is going to drag you down into that crab pot, if you feel like you can't speak your highest goals and aspirations, you know, relevant to the mission Mm -hmm. or even relevant to your person, if you feel like you have to hold that all in, you are changing your physiology. You're changing your body. You're changing the way that your brain is able to comprehend and understand things. And It does nothing beneficial for the mission, you know, and I'm thinking outside of if you are in literally a firefight and kicking down doors. At that point, some of our other kind of, you know, instinctual stuff really needs to kick in. But if we're doing the work of the nation in an office in a predictable fashion, none of those physiological things are, are benefiting our mission. And that's where it's really important. Like psychological safety enables mental health and mental health enables our mission. Secretary Austin has said it, declared it, that mental health is health, period. Stop, you know, pulling out the playbook from the 1960s about mental health and mental wellness and, you know, kind of the mental fatigue that we go through. Stop you know, we're, we're dealing with 21st century century technology. Let's have a 21st century understanding of mental wellness.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Cause, uh, I think I talked about it in our first uh, episode, um, here. So last October, November timeframe, I was at, at a tipping point because, um, a lot of change was happening in my life and, um, and my wife and we're more comfortable talking about it now who was, you know, suffering from, from, from mental, uh, health issues. Um, I wasn't a big believer in it because I wasn't educated on it, but Mm -hmm. right. And it didn't really, uh, uh, didn't really affect me until it was at my front door. Um, and I had to go out and get educated, um, on mental health and how do you deal with anxiety and what medications are out there and how it changes, um, you know, someone's, um, physical being, and then, mm-hmm. how, how, you know, within a family dynamic, you know, now that we have yep. children, how does that all play yep. into it? And me being, you know, the husband and um, had to be her her foundation and her support, how do I mm-hmm. uh, support her? And I had to get educated. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I did, I read the books, you know, watched you know, watched the videos on YouTube. I listened to the podcast and talked to others that yep. were dealing with it. Yeah. Um, and then just sitting down having a conversation with my wife on what are you feeling and right. what triggers you and. You know, how can I help you get out of that dark place if you go down that road? And, you know, there's not a lot that I can do from that aspect, but I can see the signs and when she's, you know, getting to that point. And um, I had to take a step back and take a look at my own, um, you know, mental uh, health and the things that were happening to me um, because of all the things around me. So um, a lot of that I had to cut a lot of people off and out. That just weren't uh, conducive yeah. to my growth and my well-being, and yeah. I, I'm a lot better for it now because I have time to reflect. I have time to do the things that I'm passionate about, like sitting here with you and having these discussions, but doing it on my timetable, right? I'm not as stretched yeah. in as I used to be. So, just wanted to throw that out there for the, for, for folks as well.
1: Right, and I'll be really clear. Like, um, so. I've had a a mental health challenge that started before COVID Mm -hmm. um, that I wasn't expecting and wasn't prepared for. So I've been diagnosed with anxiety. And I talk about this in my TED Talk. I've been diagnosed with anxiety. Um, I had a panic attack that was debilitating. And that was the doorway that led me to understand that I needed to care for my mental wellness in a way that I wasn't before. So um, I I will uh, let me put this out there. I have prepared like a very short, um, you know, uh, caregiver's guide to people who have anxiety. And um, if I have a consultancy called The Difference, there is a website called Anxiety with a U. So that's Alpha Uniform. Um, And I have a five step, very simple guide. And I, I was kind of thinking of what to expect when you're expecting the book when I put this together, because what I found was when I was diagnosed with anxiety. And I think you just exactly said what I've what I found is that the people around me had no idea of what to do. They didn't know what to do. And frankly, some of the things that they did were very hurtful and counterproductive. And it wasn't because they didn't love me. It wasn't because they wouldn't give me what I needed. It's just that they didn't know what to do because we are not fluent in how anxiety shows up the impact that it makes and how people around you can support you. So I've got like a very simple A-E-I-O-U and sometimes Y step through of how you can support people in your life that are suffering with anxiety. No, that's but great. Then there's I, think,
0: also- I think when we, when, when I post the, uh, when I post the episode, we'll, we'll drop a, a link to it or, or a link to where folks can gather the information that you're providing. So, yeah, but go ahead. I'm sorry. I cut Absolutely. You off.
1: Oh no, that's okay. But um, so that is kind of like, when it happens, like when the bomb drops and the you know the shell starts to explode, how do you care for the person in the center of that you know crater? Um, so that is the guide that I built. But I wanted to get ahead of that. Left of boom. Does this sound familiar? That used to be goes, you know man. our our uh, our mission statement, right? Like get left of boom. So before you get there, there are some really important ways that you can protect psychological safety. And, you know, I, I say this in my TED Talk, psychological safety at work cannot prevent all forms of anxiety. But the lack of it almost always makes any kind of anxiety worse. Right. Right. So we can't we can't prevent all injuries, all, you know, kind of um trauma and you know you touched on this as well we bring in a suitcase of things that have happened to us in the past that have nothing to do with us there at work um so we can't prevent all things but we can stop the aggravation and i think back of like the issue of coal miners getting black lung coal miners that never smoked got black lung and coal miners that smoked got black lung right. so like right. you know there are some things that we can control and some things that we can't um, but if we increase the psychological safety in our workplace, we set a more solid foundation for all mental wellness and mental health.
0: Now that was well said, and I think it's a great analogy as well with the coal miner piece. Um, yeah, so I, I talk about uh, different you know le- uh, heightened levels of disequilibrium all the time, and we talk about getting to a a a state in which leadership is about putting people in the uh, unavoidable path of learning. Um, is really taking a look at what are those triggers and things that put people in the, the, those levels of chaos and how do you pull them out of it and part of it's just getting educated and understanding your people and what are those things that uh that put them in that 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 heightened state so um all right cool so um let's talk a little bit about deaf. We've probably got about three minutes um so let's talk a little bit all about right. deaf and then and then we'll close and then if we have to come back for another episode, we will so all right. Uh,
1: So the Defense Entrepreneurs Forum, DEF, it is a nonprofit dedicated to the people dedicated to national security, whether they're in the Defense Department or the wider national security environment. And what we aim to do is inspire, connect and empower the members of that um, national security community to really move forward with creative and innovative ideas. So, again, you're going to see a thread from design thinking to culture facilitation to psychological safety to the work that we do at DEAF. If you're in an organization, and I've been in one, uh, I've been in more than one, actually. But if you're in an organization that says, hey, when we want some innovation, we'll just come over and give you a little shake and you can sprinkle it on our project. Um, that will kill you. Right. Because innovators need watering holes. And there's two different kind of thought processes or mental images on watering holes. One is where you have your favorite beverage in your hand. You're all standing around with your friends. You're bouncing ideas off of each other. Some of them are crazy and get shot down. Some of them are interesting and get some traction. But there's psychological safety. There's trust. And you put new ideas out there and you're enjoying each other's company. Like this couldn't the watering hole of that vision could not happen over email or Slack, because you need to see people's interactions. You need to see the look in their eyes. You need to see the smile on their face. That's one version of the watering hole. The second is imagine the African savanna and there's one pool of water for prey and predator. Innovators can't, innovators can't resist that water of innovation. If they are in an organization and they see a problem and they envision a solution. They cannot resist putting it forward, the same way that both prey and predator have to come to that watering hole and take a sip. So, death is important to make those connections. And we've had a great track record, a really great track record of being the sandbox or the test kitchen for some ideas that were relevant to the Defense Department that started with us and then boomeranged back into the Defense Department. We've talked a little bit before about Summer of Design and Design Thinking, where during COVID, DEF enabled Summer of Design to train federal employees. And then all those design thinking skills went back into the federal government updates um, the TSA and Homeland Security have patent-protected three of the ideas that came out of that. Okay. So you want to talk Definitely. about impact, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a second one is Project Agitari, and that is um, the care, support, and um, professionalism of facilitators, regardless of topic, culture, uh, workplace, et cetera. And that project started in-depth and is now a standalone project that the top leadership of the Air Force are embracing as a mission multiplier. So, for those, the next one well,
0: that we—I'm sorry—for those out there though that, that want to get to you, um, yeah, how do they do that?
1: Okay, easy. Go to www.deltaechofoxtrot.def.org uh, to check out our events, our offerings, and some of the stuff that we do. Or drop me a line at hello at org. Hey,
0: that's nice. Yep. <laughs> Very yeah. easy. All right. So, um, yeah, just to stay in true with, with our time here, but uh, um, I, I do want to thank you for coming on. Um, you know, you 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 have been a great supporter of leadership is tricky and everything that we've been trying to do with uh, just getting information and bringing people together to share experiences. Um, I do want to say again, congratulations on your TEDx. Um, I can't wait to, to see the full uh, recording and uh, and pump that through our forums and, and, and medium and platform. Um, and then uh, again, I, I can't reiterate more uh, than that. I am extremely proud uh, to, to know you and everything that you've done. Um, you know, it just it just warms my heart that, uh, you know, there are, you know, very strong professional women out there that my daughters can take a look at and see what they're see what you're doing out there in, in your space. So, um yeah. So uh, for those of you that are, are just tuning in with us, welcome to, to Leadership is Tricky and hope that you enjoyed the episode. And for those that are returned listeners, because we are still getting you know thousands of downloads a month. So um, I want to say thank you for supporting us um, in the 52 countries that we're currently in. And we're still in the top 100 in Peru. I don't know what's happening in Peru, so we'll see what. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so so Trish, I, I or t- I'm sorry, uh, I, I always like to give uh, our our guests the, the final word. So if there's anything that you want to to leave our, our audience with, go ahead.
1: Um, so I will leave you with this thought that leadership makes a difference. Always does. Um, it is complex, but it's super rewarding. So lead in the way that you have been designed to lead. If it's speaking from a stage, do that. If it's making the most amazing framework for a project to move forward, do that. If it is, you know, in another way, um, I think about our contracting and um, acquisition professionals and I, they execute an art form that is indispensable to the Department of Defense. Lead in the way that you've been designed and have confidence that you know yourself better than anyone.
0: Perfect. All right. So thank you for your time today. And uh, thank you to the audience for tuning in. Thanks, Eric.